in a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Dennis Matouche. Jeff Mazuka, John Reed. Bo Warmbold. Each week, they feature one movie that reminds us why we fell in love with these films in the first place. This year, we travel back in time to 1984 and 85. You're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. Hola, and welcome to episode number 49 of the 30-something Movie Podcast. That's right, we are one episode away from the Big 50, much like Dennis. Originally, we had planned to feature Jim Henson's Labyrinth on our 50th episode, but with the passing of David Bowie, just a few... <laughs> Dennis, sit down. Woo! Sit down. That's not appropriate. Not even for an audio podcast. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we had originally planned to feature Jim Henson's Labyrinth on our 50th episode, but with the passing of David Bowie just a few short days ago, it seemed appropriate to move up our Labyrinth show by one week. So in this episode, we will take a look at the 1986 cult classic movie, as well as taking some time to discuss the man, the myth, the legend himself. I am joined, as always, by my illustrious co-hosts, Pat, Dennis, Jeff, and Bo may be showing up a little bit later. Um, so we had a few other things happen today, or recently as well. Um, everybody's dying. How do we feel about that? It's a scary world. If you're British and you're 69... And have cancer. And have cancer, then... It's not a good week for you. Get your affairs in order. Yeah. Yeah, Alan Rickman. So we heard about Alan Rickman this morning. That was tough. And that... And then uh, Brian Bedford, who was mostly a stage actor, also British, mostly a stage actor, but he was the voice of... Um, what did I say? Robin Hood the, in the cartoon. The cartoon. The Fox... Or not, not Fox, like Disney, but the Fox Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who else? You just Oh, you just uh, read that it was uh, yeah, uh, Celine, uh, Celine Dion's husband. Dion's husband. Yeah. Oh, that's, really? That did. this morning. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. But yeah. he, and he had kept cancer for a while. I don't remember. Yeah, he seemed like it was he, years. He, he'd had a couple bad bouts yeah. with cancer. Yeah. Huh. So we don't, this is not an Alan Rickman tribute episode, but you did happen to mention, Jeff, that... Um, this one hit you a little bit more than the David Bowie one. I, I'm I'm not as into David Bowie as you are, um, but I mean it, it was sad hearing about David Bowie. But and I think with because with Rickman, might be the first time. And I was talking to uh, uh, my friend uh, Tony about this earlier today too. This might be the first time that we we had seen a movie that we had some sort of uh, reaction to a villain character from Die Hard. So putting it in that perspective of uh, Hans Gruber, we were around 10 when the movie came out. Didn't see it right away, but we saw it within a couple of years of it uh, being released. And, you know, at that age, you start paying attention to different archetypes of characters. So really, that's the first time, I think, really, that we picked up on a, a villainous character from a movie. So when you have that connection to a movie, um, you know, it, it stands out. So when, um, so yeah, so with, with his passing, it just, you have that moment just come to the forefront of your mind a little bit. It, it takes on a different definition for the persona of, of the actor. So that that's why it struck me a little bit. But I don't, I don't know if anyone else wanted to mention anything or say anything well i i like alan rickman a lot i like well how do you not yeah i mean it just my gosh that i have watched that guy fall out of so many windows yeah i know <laughs> well and he, i think the first thing i saw him in was in the robin hood prince of thieves okay which was cool because that was kind of the first like you know that that seemed to be the kickoff of I, did braveheart come out about the same time or did that come out later or no, that was a couple years later. Braveheart okay. was, was Braveheart in '94. I don't know. Okay. Well, it, well, it, it, seemed, it was pretty close. That, pretty that close. seemed to be the Robin Hood one. Seemed to be the first kind of darker look at. I feel like Robin Hood was 
90 or 91, yeah. maybe? Yeah, that seemed to be the first, you know, more darker look at the Middle Ages. You know, I, I won't quite call it realistic, but everything up to that point was kind of the, um, nothing against it, because it was awesome, you know, the Errol Flynn kind of style, but this had the darker, more, you know, broadsword fighting and people getting hacked apart. And Robin Hood was 91. 91. Braveheart okay. was 95. Okay. Okay. And, hey, teamwork. And so that, hey, was, the first, that was the first place I saw Alan Rickman was in that. And I mean, I just, you know, even as a kid, I thought that he kind of stole the show. I mean, it was fun watching him on screen and just bring the, and then, you know, you just go right down the list of that, um, the way he plays um, uh, Hans Gruber. And then I don't know how many other real prominent blockbuster movies he did until he came out in Harry Potter. And... When you see that, when it, when the word hit that, oh, so, that you know, Alan Rickman's going to be Severus Snape. It's like, well, who else would you cast? Mm -hmm. I mean, the, he is. I mean, and and even to this, I mean, that's even now when I go back and read the book, I I still think of Alan Rickman. That's who I think of in the role of uh, of, of Severus Snape. You know, in, in my mind's eye. So I, boy, he could he could sure bring those characters to life. And then his smaller parts, or I don't want to say smaller, but he, uh, you know, he's Bottle Shock, Michael Collins. Bottle Shock is awesome. Yeah, just great movies, and I mean, he just brings he brings a little something, something to each of them. So I was e I was emailing with my friend Tony today, like, so if you had to choose one movie to watch as some sort of memoriam, what movie would you choose for Alan Rickman? For Alan Rickman, would you go straight up Die Hard, or would you do you think there's another movie that would just really celebrate all what that he could do with? With a performance, with a role. I would go with Die Hard for me personally right now, just because I have not seen Die Hard in a long time. Mm -hmm. And I've been thinking about getting that and watching it with the kids. I know there's something, and I got to look at it. I had to preview it myself first again because I it's just violence. There's no <laughs> sexual type of stuff. <laughs> that's why Pat was but, allowed to watch it. But I think, I think, like, I think that's, it, would, it could be Robin Hood too. It's a choice between Robin Hood and Die Hard. And I think it's because that that's kind of, I don't know what's the word, smarky character type of villain that he put this like kind of, like a little bit of a sense of humor into it, but there's a certain twisted, it just, it just, both of those characters just have like, I don't know, they're just, I think he just reinvented the villain to a certain degree for a lot of people. And I think there was, somebody had mentioned that after that, there was a lot of English villains after Die Hard. Like a lot of people who had then started, they started picking, like it used to be like the prototype almost, and it was almost like did people subconsciously base a little bit of that on, on Alan Rickman's performance in Die Hard. I mean, it was a, just a classic role, so. Yeah. So I would go with Die Hard, just personally, probably me personally, um, or Robin Hood. I would not go to the Harry Potters first. I love them as a role, but that's not where I would first go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it happened. I mean, I heard, I, I thought Die Hard right away. It was the first thing I did yeah. when I heard it was Die Hard right away. And then I thought, okay, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And then it was, oh, yeah, and he was Severus Snape. You know, now kids today were all right to, to Die Hard because that's what they know him from. So they Harry were Potter. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, Harry Potter, yeah. What did I say? Die Hard. Die, die Hard, yeah, sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> all the kids are watching I die think Hard. Die Hard yeah. would have to just because, yeah. So do you think that was a movie that kind of put him on the, map. the Hollywood? Yeah. Well, that was, I think that was I mean, his first role. Well, he he was well, doing stuff. He was doing role, stuff before first big role. Die Hard. I, major. And he, he did a lot of, a lot of stage work as well. Right, stage. Work. I, I guess when I was I saying I was reading that IMDb thing today, and I might have misread, but I think that was his his first big. That, yeah, I think thing. that yeah. that was probably his big breakout. I think everything else was stage role. and 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 um, and like a, it said on the 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 trivia on the IMDb. He didn't even want the role because he's like, why would I do an action movie? And then there were a couple things in the script that supposedly kind of sucked him into it and all that, but he originally wanted to turn down the Die Hard role because he's kind of a stage actor. I must have missed that episode of 60 Minutes. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> See, because as we were emailing back and forth, we came up, we decided not to go the obvious route because we both recently had just watched Die Hard because, you know, Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. Um and I was thinking Robin Hood, but then, uh, then you know, what did he say? Something about uh, the the potential rape scene at the end, like that. You don't want that to be your your lingering image of Alan Rickman. So I came up with well, either then Bottle Shock, Galaxy Quest, Galaxy or Quest. Dogma. Yeah, 
Oh, that's <clears throat> right. Yeah. He was in Dogma. Yeah. yeah. The word of God. Meta, Metatron. Is it Metatron? That was his name? Yeah, yeah. Metatron. What was his line in that? Every, quote biblical scripture and no one understands what you're saying. Quote a Charlton Heston movie and everyone's a biblical scholar. So I'm, mess, I'm, I'm, I'm screwing the lineup royally. But that was, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that was funny. So I'll have to see what, what I have at home you know, this weekend when I decide to have my little memoriam I wonder, for, uh, for Rickman. I wonder if he mostly played villains on stage or if he played anything. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What was he in Sweeney Todd? I know he was, he was a uh, judge. Was he the judge? Okay. okay. Yeah. He was kind of a jerk in love, actually, as well. Yeah, I know that. Oh, I forget who was in that one. Talented, talented, talented man. Everyone was in that one. Yeah. <clears throat> well, if you were British, you were in that movie. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go any further, I would just like to say I wish the Goblin King would come and take all of us away right now. And I worded it properly, so it'll happen any moment now. Are you ready? I, ready. I think Pat looks remarkably, if he had more hair, I think he looks a lot like Toby. I could be like Toby. I just, I want to put you in a striped one-piece outfit. Which one is Toby again? The baby. Oh, yeah, I could be the baby. <laughs> I was thinking maybe Hoggle. I could be Hoggle. Okay. Well, no, he was the guy that kind of waffled. Right? Yeah. Wasn't he? He's a waffler. I was just going by looks. Right. Be like Hoggle. That's right. All right. So anyway, so anyway, this movie is called Labyrinth. Uh, it came out on June twenty seventh, nineteen eighty six. It was rated PG. The director Jim Henson, uh, who died in nineteen ninety, uh, also did the Muppet movies and Dark Crystal. The producers uh, were George Lucas, who did a couple little movies here and there, and David Laser, who also produced Dark Crystal and The Muppet Show. The writers were Jim Henson, who did the Muppet movies and Dark Crystal, and many other things. Dennis Lee, who did a lot of the music for Fraggle Rock and some of the other puppety shows. Uh, Terry Jones, who did Monty Python. The music was, by, well, music was by a couple of different people. David Bowie, obviously. And Trevor Jones, who did Dark Crystal, Last of the Mohicans, and Dark City. The budget for this one was $25 million. The box office was $12.7 million. So it did not make its money back by a long shot. Uh, David Bowie is starring as Jareth the Goblin King. He was also in The Last Temptation of Christ, Zoolander, and The Prestige, as well as many, many other fantastically weird, crazy, off-the-wall movies, which we can talk about later. But my, one of my favorites was my dad took me to go see, it was a, uh, like a rock musical about race riots in London in the 60s, featuring David Bowie. Why not? Yeah. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> um, we have Jennifer Connelly, who played Sarah. Uh, she was in The Rocketeer, Dark City, A Beautiful Mind. We have Toby Froud, who played Toby. Uh, he is or was a sculptor and designer for The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Shelley Thompson played the stepmother. She was in the TV show and movies for The Trailer Park Boys. Christopher Malcolm was the father, and he was in The Empire Strikes Back, Superman Three, and Highlander. Uh, Sherry, I think it's Sherry, Weiser was Hoggle. She was the little person that was inside the Hoggle outfit. And she was also in Sesame Street Presents Follow That Bird. Brian Henson was the voice of Hoggle and many other goblin voices. He was in Muppets, Dinosaurs, and Return to Oz. Uh, Ron Mueck, Mueck, I say his last name. Uh, he was the voice of Ludo. He was Fiery 2 and many other goblin voices. He was in the movie Dream Child and the TV series The Storyteller. Rob Mills was Ludo, Fiery 3. He was in Fraggle Rock and Dinosaurs. Uh, Dave Goals was Sir Didymus and various other voices. He was in The Muppets as Gonzo and Waldorf. He was also in the TV show Dinosaurs and the movie Dark Crystal. David Allen Barclay was Sir Didymus and Fiery 1. He was in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi as one of the Jabba the Hutt puppeteers, as well as the lead puppeteer for the uh, plant in Little Shop of Horrors. Frank Oz was the wise man. He was the puppeteer, puppeteer for the wise man with the bird hat. Uh, he was in the Star Wars movies, Muppet movies, and Dark Crystal. And last but not least, David Bowie's codpiece played himself. Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave this one a 66%, and you're shaking your head at me. Keep going. <laughs> it's, it was, it, okay, we'll talk about that later. It was its own actor. 
Um, Rotten Tomatoes, the critics gave it a 66%. The audience gave it an 86%. Uh, Ebert gave it two out of four stars. Um, he, Although in his review, I will criticize him for his review because he referred to Toby as a midget in a Muppet costume when Toby was actually the baby. He meant to talk about Hoggle, but he got the whole thing wrong. Did he, though? It's Ebert. Well, maybe not. Uh, this movie was nominated for a BAFTA for Best Visual Effects, nominated for an Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films for Best Fantasy Film and Best Costumes, nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Our summary for this one, frustrated teenager Sarah accidentally, dink, dink, quote fingers, uh, accidentally vanishes her baby brother Toby to the Goblin Kingdom. She now has 13 hours to outwit, outwit Jareth the Goblin King, say that three times real fast, and save her brother from the castle at the center of the labyrinth. If that wasn't enough, Jareth never quite plays fair. The imagination of Jim Henson. Who are you? I'm Brochu. Okay. What is it? It's a crystal. It'll show your dreams. There. It's further than you think. Wizardry of George Lucas. See? There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> she should have given up by now. She must be stopped. The excitement of David Bowie. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars for no one. Run so long, run so far. Three extraordinary talents take you to a world of fantasy and adventure. The world of Labyrinth. Coming June 27th. All right, so Brian Froud was the conceptual designer for the film. Um, he designed the goblins and some of the other characters, designed the sets, the costumes. Um, the baby, Toby, was his son. Um, all of the crystal ball juggling that was done by Jareth was not done by David Bowie, but rather by choreographer Michael Motion, who was hiding behind Bowie and pretending to be his arms. Uh, the owl in the opening credits is the first fully realized CGI, CGI animal in a film. Many of the characters' settings and concepts are hinted at in Sarah's bedroom at the beginning of the movie. Books, models, dolls, newspaper clippings, etc. Uh, Michael Jackson was heavily considered to play the part of Jareth the Goblin King, which might totally change the fact that he stole a small boy. Um, glad that didn't happen. When the movie failed at the box office... Not, we're not going to touch that one. I think that's... Stay, stay away. Left, just... Mm -hmm. Leave it mm -hmm. uh, when the movie failed at the box office, Jim Henson actually took it very personally. His son Brian has said in interviews that this was the most difficult period in his father's career. Um, took him very close to you know, going through a pretty bad depression. Uh, Jim Henson actually never directed another film after this. The story was influenced by Wizard of Oz and the works of Maurice Sendak, um, specifically Outside Over There and Where the Wild Things Are. Uh, examples of which show up as books in Sarah's bedroom. There is actually a credit at the end that acknowledges the influences of Maurice Sendak. Uh, Henson said of the film that uh, this was about the time in adolescence when a teenager realizes they are growing up and must take more responsibility for their life. Uh, Terry Jones disagreed with that. He thought that it was a, should have been a totally different story. Um, and he helped kind of come in and, and write some of it as the, the guy from Monty Python. He did kind of a rewrite of the script for him. The puppeteers and performers who worked on the film were a combination of Jim Henson's regular collaborators, as well as some from the British puppet-based parody show Spitting Image, if anybody's ever seen that. The park at the beginning of the movie is located near the town of High Wycombe in England, which was the next major town over from where I used to live when I lived in the town of Beaconsfield. Um, the original plans for a sequel were called The Curse of the Goblin King. They were ultimately discarded, but they took what would have been that movie and they rewrote some of it, kind of kept the similar atmosphere, and the writer Neil Gaiman uh, helped take some of that and reimagine it into the movie called Mirror Mask, which I have not seen. Have you ever seen that? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Um, Terry Jones said the final draft of the script and the film that ended up being made departed from his original ideas for the story. Jim Henson wanted it to be a story about a girl growing up and learning to take responsibility for herself and her actions. Terry Jones' story had the labyrinth becoming crazier and crazier, the rules being broken more and more, and the only way Sarah could ultimately reach the center of the labyrinth was to realize there is no solution and you just got to go along for the ride. Once she gives up control, she reaches the center of the labyrinth. All right, so one of my first questions for us, um, talk about your initial reactions to this movie. When, when did you first see it? Did you see it in the 80s? Was it just recently? Um, but along with that, here's one of my first questions for us. This movie seems to be packed full of creators that should have made it a success. Jim Henson, Terry Jones, George Lucas, David Bowie, so on and so on. So why do you think it failed to get the audience in its initial theatrical release? Jefe. Hola. Hola. Um, <clears throat> all right, so I saw this movie not long after it was first released, um, but I never went back to it. And for a long time, I had a theory that you're either a Dark Crystal person or you're a Labyrinth person. And I was always a Dark Crystal guy. Um, that movie I've seen, I don't know how many times I've seen it. It's not until the last couple of years, really. I think it was when you showed it in your classroom. That's when I first started looking at the Labyrinth again. Like, oh, okay, it's it's not a bad movie, but for me, it was never a uh, it was never a go to. Um, and I thought about that, especially when I watched it for this recording. And I think part of what I just didn't like about it is there were elements to it that I just didn't understand why it was there. Um, like the fireys, I don't know what that scene was supposed to offer. I don't know if it did offer anything. It just, it just seemed to take up time. And, it, and <clears throat> now watching it, I can liken it to the written story of the never-ending story and that the author just came up with. And then this crazy thing happened, and then this crazy thing happened, and then this crazy thing happened. I think at some point I just like, let's just get to the castle. Let's get to the center of the labyrinth. Why do we need more and more obstacles for, uh, for Sarah to, to deal with? Um, now that being said, I don't dislike it. I can, you know, I'll put it on and I'll watch it. I don't have a problem with it being on. I don't feel, ever feel the need to turn it off. But it certainly wasn't my favorite um, from Jim Henson. So that kind of ties into your next question of why it didn't work. Or do we want to do our reactions first and then go around and discuss yeah, we, why it didn't work? Yeah, we can do our reactions first. All right. So someone else give a, a reaction. Jump in there, Dennis. Dennis, what do you got? I think when – I don't know. I always think it's like also one of those things that we have to – able to go back and almost look at what else was released around the same time of a certain movie. Um, sometimes just bad timing and planning on when something was released. For example, if you you know if you release something Star Wars Weekend, you know good luck. I mean, it's bad timing. You're gonna you could have a great movie, but not everybody can go to the theater and spend a bunch of money every single week. And if you got a family and you got a bunch of people, and this is kind of a family thing, there might have been something else picked. So I, I don't know why it did. As well as it did, I want to know, like, okay, I think it was a summer release, wasn't it June or something? Yeah, it was June. It was June. So even, right, you know, school's getting out, so you think, well, that's got it kind of in some favor. But my guess is there was also some probably some big blockbuster summer movies being released at that time. And when you got five, six movies to choose from, you go, oh, I'm going to this one. That one will be the one I wait for on DVD. We had, actually, here's, here's, here's what came out in June and early July of that year. Uh, June of 86 was Invaders from Mars, My Little Pony, the movie. Uh, which is what everybody rushed out to see. Raw Deal, Space Camp, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was on mm -hmm. June 11th. Uh, Back to School, um, Manhattan Day. Project, Legal Eagles, The Karate Kid Part 2, Labyrinth came June 27th, Ruthless People came June 27th, and then in early July, so the just a few days later, um, About Last Night, Big Trouble in Little China, um, Great Mouse Detective, cartoon aliens came later in july so i guess you did have a few june was pretty packed so mm -hmm. 
that could have been part of it. And there's a lot of those look like they're almost adventure young kid movies, so it's the same sort of genre of that type of style. So I think, and I'm not saying that's the sole reason. I'm just saying that could definitely hurt box, box office mm-hmm. sales. Is what gets released alongside of it because <laughs> people just go, "Oh, wait till that comes on VHS." Yeah. When did Dark Crystal come out? Eighty-two, I think. Was it? I think it was, yeah, it was early '80s. Yeah. Might have been '82. And and that one was pretty successful. I mean, that made well over. What was the box expenses. office numbers on it again? For Labyrinth? Yeah. Labyrinth was like $12.7 million. And how much did it cost to make? 25 mm-hmm. Was Dark Crystal, I, I saw Dark Crystal, was Dark Crystal a real people slash Muppet movie, or was it just? No, it was no, all it puppets. It was all puppets. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Crystal was 82 um, and it made, were you, were you asking about how much money did Dark Crystal make? I was asking uh, Labyrinth. Oh, in Labyrinth, okay. But you already said 12 and 25. Yeah. Yeah, it's... it's so, I mean, that's a factor, I just... I was going to say, because I think as a yeah. factor, sometimes a movie is just not seen, and people all saw it maybe on VHS, and we're like, oh, and maybe they liked it, because the audience rating on it, which was on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I think, wasn't it? Um, when I looked that up, it was like 80-something percent. Yeah. Right. So my point was a lot of people didn't not like it. Well, now. But they, yeah. When did, they, when did the audience start? Well, rating exactly. So when did they start rating like it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And, and how many, how many movies and how many things are famous or popular after, where suddenly people just it catches on later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dark Crystal when it came out made forty point five eight million. See, and I don't, I don't. So four, see, almost four times as much as. I don't see much in that list that would be a direct competition with this movie. It's not to be a direct, but there's not like a big, huge direct. But there's you know, Big Trouble in Little China. You had uh, what was the other one that you mentioned? Well, they show here. Ferris Steelers, but and they and uh, they show Ferris here Bueller. how much they show here how much they made. Um, you know, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off made sixty-five million, and that mm-hmm. came out maybe ten days before, or two weeks before. Um, Back to School made eighty-six million, almost eighty-seven million. Uh, Legal Eagles made forty six million. Karate Kid Part Two made one hundred and ten million. That's a big one. Karate Kid Part Two is big. And that was that was one week before Labyrinth came out. Are they they the same target audience? Do you think was this? I mean, when you think about this movie, made for thirteen or fourteen. I think yeah. Oh, I think I think Karate Kid's gonna be. Yeah, I think it's probably a teen audience in a way for the most part and younger. That weekend, um, maybe not. Not adult. Maybe people weren't sure just. What who, it was. Who, who the audience was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, Adults look of, at it thinking, oh, it's a kid's movie. Kids look not going, Little really kids are going to go see My Little Pony. Older people are going to, you know, like, you'll mm-hmm. probably see Ferris Bueller's Day Off over that. And yeah. then, you know, and then when you have Big Trouble, Little China come out. I mean. Of that weekend, so just the four movies. The I think. Well, and the four movies that actually came out that same day on June 27th. Um, Ruthless People made $68.5 million. Running Scared made $38.5 million. And Labyrinth made twelve point seven. Running Scare was the Billy Crystal one, correct? I think so. Gregory Hines, I think. The, the two Crystal. that came in the highest were comedies. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it, those did pretty decent numbers. And I think Running Scare, we don't why you don't pop that name. It was, I think it was Billy Crystal, wasn't it? Gregory I Hines so. or something like that. I can look that one up. But but there were back at that time again. I think those were. You know, while we don't think of them as grand blockbusters, I mean, they did pretty decent business. And like I said, I think it just comes down to a simple thing of. We're going to go see one movie in June or in this week. Which is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, we want to see Running Scared. So I, it, it doesn't mean that we hate Labyrinth, but we just, that stuff can just happen when you, you know, I don't and, know. And the Muppets were established as, you know, the Muppets. Yeah. You, you, you kind of knew what you were getting into with a Muppet movie. The dark. You kind of knew what you were getting into with, you know, when you'd see them on Sesame Street. So now you're taking them in a different direction which the Dark Crystal did back in 82, but now it's, it's going in a different direction, and maybe people, like you said, are going to pull back from it and just say, I, I don't know what that's all about. And like I said, I don't even necessarily know if it's a rejection of the movie. I think it's just a, there's five choices. We're going to see one or two movies this June. It's just not one of them. And, you know, and that, that could potentially be it, you know? Yeah. So I don't think there's any, like, Major, because I I don't know what the reviews were like back at the time either. I didn't I don't remember them being horrible. Um, I remember people talking about Bowie being in at the time and one of the and that that actually kind of comes up as part of one of my other questions was a lot of the critics did um, did not like the the puppet portion of the movie. 
they said that they felt the puppets were not lifelike enough, like they didn't get enough emotion or facial expression or whatever from, you know, they felt like with the Muppets, you, even though their faces don't really change all that much, um, that you get more character. emotion, more you character. get more character out of those. Whereas a lot of people felt that in here, you didn't get that. Mm-hmm. You didn't so do you get that think they of. tried to make the, the puppet faces in Labyrinth too detailed? Could be because I was just thinking of uh, well, why why do the Muppets work? Right. Well, they're because they're, I mean, they're not very detailed. Right. Because I, I mean, and I totally disagree with that <laughs> that criticism of it. I in watching the movie this you know, last this last weekend, I'm watching it and I'm watching how you know when Hoggle makes some kind of a comment like his eyebrow raises just a little bit or something changes slightly in his face. And I'm like, well, how do you get that there's not enough you know emotion coming from these these puppets and these characters? I mean, they've I totally see changing emotions, changing facial features, and I, I don't get that. In a day and age where we have, you know, CGI stuff where you can create a person totally in the computer and have their face do anything you could ever possibly want, this to me still seems more lifelike than some of the computer animated stuff we have now. So I totally don't agree with their whole criticism that but, it wasn't lifelike enough. And this was critics back in the day? Yeah. Well, see, they didn't have CGI to compare it to. Right. They'd compare it to what? So either they're critics that don't watch Muppets, and, you know, sometimes I I read about the critics now, and they'll weigh in on something, and it's like, well, you're criticizing the movie, but that's, you know, doesn't fit with the genre, the criticism, the genre that you're, you're criticizing, that's kind of just part of the genre. That's part of it. You know, you can't... And so either they don't know Muppets, or they compare it to the Muppets, and I think, you know, the Muppets... Like you said, the Muppets were simpler, and they didn't have all these emotional things. But somehow they could get out of, you know, the Muppets. You could get that they could emote, and so if they're comparing it to the Muppets, then maybe that's what that's where their criticism came from. You know, like I look back at it, and I think my first comment to you was, well, "Yeah, man, I almost perform Muppets because that seems more enjoyable than, you know, the quote-unquote accurate, uh, realistic CGI." But 30 years ago, if all you were was comparing it to Muppets, maybe that's what they were, maybe that's what they were, were hitting at. So how does David Bowie work as a movie villain? I don't think he's a great actor. <laughs> um, and I think because he's not a great actor, he doesn't really work as a movie villain, but I don't think he'd be a, a movie hero either. I just don't think that, you know, well, it, it wasn't his forte. It, it wasn't his his strong suit. I think most of the time he was, well, in some of his movies, he was always kind of the weird character. He was, well, he'd play like aliens. You know, the man who fell to Earth, he was the alien. And you know, on his in his own performances on stage, he was Ziggy Stardust. And To be fair, so. I'd never, I've never seen any of his other movies. Okay. So I could be completely mistaken, okay. but yes, that's a you know a I mean, bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> I've, only seen, I've only seen one movie, but you know he sucked in everything. <laughs> I didn't say he sucked in everything. I just said that not a good actor. He didn't come across as being a good actor in Labyrinth. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. There's a bunch of jerks. So you guys still need to say what what you thought about the movie. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't well, it was on the Bowie. Are we going to the Bowie thing, or what are we doing? No, so we went to that question. So I was just on that train of thought. I, I, I think he was. I think for that fantasy world and for that creepiness, I think Bowie did good in that role. I thought, you know, I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it was fine. I mean, he, he, he has that sort of. And, and I would, I would, would debate the the acting ability just because there's been other roles like I think in uh, the, the Prestige as uh, Tesla. I think he was yeah. good there. I think it was awesome. Probably the best ever punches pilot in the last oh, Temptation yeah. of Christ I think I've ever seen. I think I love his role. I mean, even though it's a small role in there, his punches pilot. He was punch, it just was absolutely perfect the delivery, See, the tone is, of like what I think I've punches pilot would have been like. I just I can't even visualize. I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm like he was in the Prestige. Oh man, yeah. he was Nicholas Tesla. He was Nikolai Tesla. Tesla. He was the one cloning the hats and cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep going. I I but like, but like, I have always remembered. Like, I just remember seeing him first. I'm like, oh my god, it's Bowie as as Pontius Pilate, and it was like played exactly how he was in Zoolander as himself. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah, 
I mean, he's been a few more. And The Man Who Fell From Earth, I remember being a weird... A weird movie watching. I, I can't say I've seen it recently, but I remember mm-hmm. being a weird movie, The Man Who Fell From Earth. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was very, again, strange. You know, and that had that, I think he wasn't trying to be, you know, like like you said, does he have a wide range? No, he doesn't. He didn't. That wasn't his major thing, but I think there's certain roles where he performed really well in them, I thought, and fit well. And I think this was actually okay with one of them because the world that they were trying to create, I think it was fine. I don't think that was an issue for me. Yeah, some of his more well-known ones were The Man Who Fell to Earth, uh, The Hunger, which I think was a vampire yeah, movie. Yes, that was, yeah. That was another one. Um, Absolute Beginners, that's the one that my dad took me to go see the musical. Um, Labyrinth, Last Temptation of Christ, um, The Linguini Incident. Um, what else? Then they did a Hunger TV series not that long ago. Zoolander, he played himself. The Prestige. Um, well, I think that's pretty much it. I definitely want to watch Prestige again. It's been a while since yeah. I've seen that. But. Well, I just remember, I didn't know that he was going to be in that movie. I just remember watching that, and that whole part of the movie just seemed so weird and otherworldly that when he stepped on screen, and I'm like, oh, that perfect. Perfect casting for that. <laughs> for which one was this? For Prestige. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, no, yeah, okay. Everything's. Who else but David Bowie would be cloning hats? Go for it. I'm totally fine with Have that. Have you ever seen this movie, Basquiat? No. Uh, he, I haven't. Yeah. I'm just. I mean, it's it's another one of his his credits, and he plays Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. I can picture that being a very good fit for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one that I, I don't remember that when they this album brought to is the Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. There's another one called Merry. When I heard that oh, yeah. one, he plays, I believe, a soldier or something, and it's uh, that one I know had pretty good reviews of his performance in there too. So I saw a scene from it. And I was like, oh, I don't remember if I saw this movie or not. Yeah. The name sounds familiar, like I've seen it on VHS, but I I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. He was also in an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. Oh, him. That one, I yep. Never seen that. Yeah, I, I, yeah I. All right. Try not to watch it. So, Pat, was this the first time first that you time. had seen it? Was I, this, okay. so I saw the movie within the last week. Okay. Um, and, I, sorry, wait, Jim Henson has passed on, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jim. I mean, it kind of breaks my heart to say this because uh, he said that he took it personally. I, I kind of had a lukewarm reaction to the movie. I mean, I... I normally, if Jim Hansen wasn't dead, would you have changed your opinion on that? I would have pulled back. I would have said. I would have said pass. I would have said I'm, I reject the question. I would have done one of my typical things. Okay. And, you know, I just. Uh, yeah, I kind of had a lukewarm reaction to the movie. I'm. I, you know, when I first watched it, I found the main. I mean, the girl. I, she was just annoying, and I'm just like, okay, is this whole thing going to be set up like she got her little stepbrother abducted, which kind of upset me that they were going after a baby. You guys know that. I mean, that just kind of. You know, I got a little. Well, but that's what that's what goblins do. That's what goblins do. They go do. after babies. And then it was like, is she going to get the? And then they got. And then it was like, oh my gosh! Now is she going to? Is this her whole? Thing? And then I got to the end. It's oh, okay. She figures it out and she becomes good in the end. And okay, I kind of get it. But I, I kind of was a little bit annoyed by her character. And then the rest of it, I mean, it was it was cool. It was uh, an adventure. I I liked seeing the Muppets, uh, or I call them Muppets, but it, yeah, I liked seeing the Muppets and the the human and Muppet. Uh, thing in there, there was some funny stuff. I mean, the, bo- the bog of eternal stench was kind of a funny <laughs> creation. Um, but I, it, that's what as as kids, instead of you know, you'd take the cushions off the couch and you yeah. pretend the floor is lava. Yeah. Instead, in our house, the floor was always the bog, the bog of, eternal of eternal stench. stench. Yeah. yeah. I, and and maybe maybe my problem was you know I just didn't see it as a kid, and so I, I don't have that connection. But like. I don't know. And when you listed the movies that were would have come out that year, I think I just would have gone in, in another direction. You know, I by the time I was old enough that I probably would go and see this movie, um, I think I would have been more into Big Trouble in Little China. If I was younger, I think I probably would have rather have seen like My Muppets Little Pony. Or, or, yeah, My I, Little Pony movie. Not, yeah. yeah, the um, I would have rather just like rewatched a Muppet movie or something like that. But I. Even Dark Crystal, which was an awesome movie, I didn't see that till much later. So, so I could see where this movie kind of fell between the cracks, just because. Pat's a brony. I mean, he's he's willing to admit that now. Is a what? A brony. I don't know what a brony. You don't know what a brony is? 
that a, a brother that likes my little boy. Yeah, it's a it's it's a whole demographic of society in which you are an older man who likes the My Little Pony Friendship is Magic cartoon. I, I have never seen that cartoon, but okay. I will I will watch it. And they're, they're called bronies. Just, okay. Just based on that, Pat, get out of my classroom. Okay. Based on what? That I've never seen My Little no, Pony? No, based on the fact that you're a brony. Oh. Get out. How, how, can I be this if I've never seen the show? Or is that the criteria? John sure, is to read it, and John is our... John is our podcasting? Okay. That's yeah. I, hey, that's... All right, man. I guess I'm out. But... Uh, I'm uncomfortable. I... Anyone else want to sit here next to Pat? Can, can we make you more comfortable? Pat, scooch back. Per, per, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps an episode of My Little Pony? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I got nothing else. It was, it was a good movie, but it just didn't light my hair on fire. Uh, no, I, would, I saw it when I was a kid, so I think that might play into part, like Pat said, if you saw it as a kid, there might be a little bit of that more sentimental connection to it. Um, but my reaction is similar to yours. I mean, it's not something that I go to all the time and watch. If there's a part on there, I will watch a part of it, but I won't watch the whole thing through. Like, there's certain movies, if you pick it up on TV, you're going to sit and pretty much watch the rest of the movie, wherever it's at. This one, I'll watch 10 minutes of it, and then I'll probably go and do something else. So it's not a go-to, have-to type of movie for me. Um, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I think it was, yeah, at first, I, whenever somebody says, Labyrinth, I have to, all, all, oh, is it Bowie or is it Dark Crystal? Like, I think that type of, like, in hindsight, unless I've seen him recently. Um, but so, that, I mean, I think, and, and that's how I totally see how it could get lost in that release of movies, even though there might not seem to be a big blockbuster in there, although Ferris Bueller and Karate Kid were going to have big followings, and those are teen sort of audience, family sort of movies, and so is this. This one's a little bit weirder, so I think a lot of people, we know what we're going to get from Karate Kid, you know? So why not go see Karate Kid? And hey, and this Ferris Bueller one, everybody's saying how great it is. So I could see them going to that and going, yeah, we kind of saw the Dark Crystal. It's probably going to be a little bit like that, and Bowie's in it. it might be a little weird, and we can get that on VHS. I, I totally see how that could happen. And it doesn't, again, make it a bad movie. I just think that's how it didn't make the business it did. I think Jim Henson shouldn't be so devastated by it. I think the financial success of it or lack of financial success shouldn't be the determining factor of any movie. Um, I just don't see, I, mean, I don't see being into it when I was 10 or 11 or 12. Like, I think I would have just... It was I definitely think I weird. This, I, I would have rather, rather been into, like, Karate Kid or Big Trouble in Little China. Like, exactly. This would have been... Yeah, okay. and like I said, it doesn't mean it's horrible or bad. It's just, it's... Not my bag. Yeah, it just, I think visually, and like you said, I won the awards for video. There was some really cool visual stuff in there. I don't think it had the charm of, say, a never-ending story, um, but it still was, I think, a good movie, just not a, wow, the most awesome movie. So my reaction And, and we, can, like we can get to this later, but this movie, there was a, an article in 2011 from this website, and they referred to Labyrinth as the anti-never-ending story, mm. that it was the opposite of the never-ending story, but we can, we'll talk about that in a minute. And her being whiny, I agree with you to a certain degree. Like, so, but, but I think that was part of the character the way it was supposed to be. And I almost feel like um, the role of the Goblin King was written with David Bowie in mind. Or another character. I don't know who you said had were up for Michael that Jackson. role. But who? Michael Jackson. See, that's weird. See, I would have... I, I could have seen Sting in that role. He actually was up for it, too. Okay. Well, that makes sting, like a sting. Let's see. Sting, Michael Jackson, and I want to say a couple of other people. All right, John. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not, Bo is here now with us, so I'm, I'm going to let Bo do his uh, his reaction to it. Um, it had been a long time since I saw this thing. And I had forgotten more of it than I realized. I think it's funny. You, you hit right on the head when you said, wait a minute, Dark Crystal, Labyrinth. Yeah, which one's Bowie in? They sort of blend together in my head, and I... I me a while to sort it all out I was watching I almost I wanted to try to get back and watch it again and I never did especially once I realized I was going to be late um, I'm a sucker for Jennifer Connelly though yeah. always have been Since probably always versus. will be <laughs> so I, you know no problem watching it um, the, seeing it today I'm surprised it did as poorly as it did because i I think it's it's fun, and it had enough name recognition where you think, like, if you did a movie today with names like this attached to it, so many people would show up just because of the name. You would think, 
David Bowie fans would have showed up just to see the movie, and it would have made money just because. Right. Like, people are going to go see the new Independence Day movie because it's Independence Day, not because it's going to be a good movie. So it, that surprised me a lot when I was reading the... Uh, when you weren't here early, we looked into because my big question for that was that was what was released at the time, and we right. and when he pulled it up, it was a summer release June. You also had uh, Karate Kid two coming out around the same time or same mm-hmm. week, and then you so had Ferris Bueller. It got beat. Running scared, which was I think the Billy Crystal <clears throat> behind. Yeah, we think. said it was um, the highest grossing movies in June were Raw Deal, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Back to School, Back to School at Dangerfield, uh, Legal Eagles, Karate Kid Part Two, Running Scared, and Ruthless People. And then Big Trouble in Little China came in. Ruthless People. Too. Okay, so it had so a there was enough goal. that were there that there could Although, be the choice of let's go see this instead of that. We're not going to go see all six. We'll and back then two. they weren't thinking as much about. At least it seems with that release list, they weren't thinking. Well, if we held this till September. Yeah. So so here's <laughs> here's the interesting more? thing though. Big Trouble in Little China cost the same amount of money to make as Labyrinth, but it made $2 million less than Labyrinth. Mm. Big Trouble in Little China did worse than Labyrinth did yeah. in the theater. Hmm. I remember that one was based on, I think, reviews that came out, and it wasn't that good of review. Okay. I don't think it was as reviewed as well. So, and, and forget that David Bowie has passed away, but so you're saying if this movie were to get released today, it, well, would, it would make its money back plus. I think so, and not for any tangible reason but and I, I don't saying if they release it today with I don't know if David Bowie in a movie today would have made a bunch of money but whoever that analog is today people are just going to go and I don't know if it's because we have more disposable income or if we well, have if they made that movie today with David Bowie well, I'm telling you a lot of people would go, go see well, that movie because yeah. you'd be like how the hell is he pulling this off <laughs> also true I'd go see it yeah I'm in I mean, well, didn't Tupac release a bunch of albums after he after, died? Yeah. So, I mean, maybe wow. it's the same thing. He's not really dead. There you go. Oh, there it is. He's a hologram. There was only one who learned the secret of how to cheat death. It was David Bowie. There it is. Mm-hmm. David Bowie for Darth Plagueis. That's right. All right. Has, has everybody else reacted and given their... Yeah, John, let's hear what you got. <clears throat> Invalid opinions. Okay. Well, the 30-something movie podcast is now currently looking for new co-hosts. Um, there should be no. a disclaimer. Yeah, I didn't slam it. There no, should I know, be a I disclaimer. Nobody slammed it. No, no, no. I know. Well, you I came know. the clip. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> True. You slam Bowie's acting <laughs> and you. <laughs> there might want to be a disclaimer at this point. John is a huge oh, yeah. David Bowie fan. Oh, yeah. That's he that's where saw I saw the big art thing. That's where I come in a little biased to the whole yeah. thing is being bad. a huge. You dressed like Bowie on Monday. It was I did. Mm-hmm. Bring your bias, man. I had the, had Where's the, tight, the Facebook picture of the, that? I had the tight pants and everything. I was doing the whole Ziggy Stardust thing. Cotton and all. Yeah. Um, no, I. So yes, I am a huge David Bowie fan, and as kids no, in my family, up. no, I did not dress up. No, just no. Mm-mm. Yeah, but now um, the image is in my head. Thank I know. You, That's your fault. You're welcome. Deal with that. <laughs> the closest I've ever gotten to David Bowie was the year that I dressed up as Shakespeare on Shakespeare's birthday. So <laughs> there were tights involved, and I spoke in a British accent, but other than that. Um, no, I, as, as a kid, I did well, the whole day. Never mind. Um, as a kid, well, we would watch this repeatedly, over and over and over again. Um, my dad was a huge David Bowie fan, which then made us huge David Bowie fans. Was, I mean, we must have watched this movie a few times a year and this was like I said when other kids were pulling the cushions off the couch and playing the floor is lava we played the floor is the bog of eternal stench and um, my sister I think my sister's new dog that she got almost got named Ziggy Stardust and or Sir Didymus might have been one of the other choices but um, Ludo I think was another one too um, but no we watch this all the time and it, so to me it's just I have no problems at all with this movie. I don't. I any faults that it may have, completely just I gloss over them all because I love just it. Wrong. They're all wrong. They're all wrong. Everything. It's all wrong. Um, and I just love that knowing the weirdness that is David Bowie. I love the fact that this is a movie that has Jim Henson, George Lucas, David Bowie, Terry Jones from Monty Python, and I look at that and I just go, it's pretty much everything that I love, packed into one movie. And if you pull together all the people, I mean, take you think about the people that are make the movies that you enjoy most. If you were to throw all those people together into one movie, this is probably it for me. I'm not saying this is my favorite movie ever, but I do 
you know, I will watch this movie. If I'm, I'm the opposite of Dennis, where you said you'll watch maybe 10 minutes and then go do something else. If I'm going to sit down and watch this movie, everything else has to stop. Like, I'll get the whole family in the room. Like, guys, okay, stop what you're doing. We're watching Labyrinth. Come on in. And did you uh, did you like the story of the movie then? Why, or was it kind of like story? Uh, you like the boy. characters and you like Bowie was in there? Or th- Music, okay. characters, story, puppets. The whole thing just yeah. worked together. whole thing. Cool. Yeah, so, no, if, so if it was Sting in there in that Bowie. I don't think it would have been the same. Okay. So I think the fact that it was David Bowie. That's a huge added a, and that's a whole a other level to it. And, why you right. That, I think. Right. Yeah. Which is fair enough. I mean. Right. One, something that I read in a, an article from 2011 calls this the anti never ending story. Um, in that, in the never ending story, imagination is the only thing that matters. Forget reality, it's not worth anything. In Labyrinth, you have to kind of balance the real world, the fantasy world, and try to find your joy in both. Um, other people have said that. This movie was a little weird for them, especially watching it if they were in their adolescent years because of the, let's just say, sexual tension between the much older David Bowie Goblin King and the 15-year-old Sarah character. Um, did you notice any of that? When you were, Pat's making a weird face, so I don't think he noticed any of that. Mm. There's a little twinge of it. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a little bit of that, but not, I don't know. I didn't notice that... Well, you have the whole the whole goblin. Some people call it like the the goblin prom. Yeah, the goblin prom when they're all dancing. Dancing. I said the dance. I think there's more of it now than there was back when I saw it. Okay. Could just be that we're we're more aware. Yeah, we're more aware of things like that. Yeah. But back to the conversation earlier, if they made it today, would they have played that up more? Mm -hmm. Just the way things are. When I remember that being a question that I asked as a kid, I was like, well, wait a minute. He's the bad guy. Why does she seem to like him? Like, why is she? And that's my own kids asked that question the two times that they've seen it now is, well, wait a minute. I thought he was the bad guy. So why is she dancing with him? And why does she seem to like him? They didn't get it. And I remember as a kid, I had a hard time getting it too. But very clearly is that whole part, especially when you get to that speech that he gives at the end. Um, about you know if you just if you would love me and serve me then I will give you everything that you want and <laughs> and his pants just kept getting tighter and tighter throughout the movie. Something about that uh, works for you? you no, I'm I'm just I'm just <laughs> noting that it happens. You really do love Bowie. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> love David and his Bowie. Oh, there's a star man waiting in the sky. What are you doing? Well, let's get the dolls. They made dolls. Yes, they did. And actually, my sister might have these. Oh, dear. I think Sarah has these. Yeah, my sister is the biggest Labyrinth fan ever. We have bought her um, a plush toy of Ludo, a plush toy of the little worm at the beginning of the movie. Um, I think she went and bought the comic books that they did as the sequel. And I think she's got a couple of other books on it. I'll have to ask her and see. Because, yes, they did do... There's Ballroom Jareth and Ballroom Sarah. And I was amused when I found this and thought I should share, but, okay. well. No, I, I, I already know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. I, yeah, yeah. I know about it already. Almost frightened me, I'm not going to lie. Sorry. Uh, so what about the music in this one? So the music in this one, there's, there's some catchy songs in there. I remember when I showed this in my class a couple years ago, had a whole bunch of the kids like, all of a sudden went to iTunes and just started downloading Dance Magic Dance. Magic Dance yeah, and I think they came in the next <clears> day and yeah. they had memorized the song and they were singing it in the classroom. It was, it, was, right. it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Like, they were really into the movie and they really yeah. dug the music. So, it was good. Yeah. The music, I mean, you've got the... Uh, what else did he, did he say that the guy did? Well, so I, the guy that did the... Well, well, or, well, not you, orchestral, well, but the other up. music. Pat, the, the song that, was, that played during the... Uh, Goblin Prom. Yeah. To me, I just I, I wasn't quite sure like, and I I can't find the right words for it. I can't find the right words for that entire scene. I'm just gonna come right out. And <laughs> but I feel, I mean I feel like that song just it didn't have the same. I don't know. Should it take one? But no, it's like the, the the same musical flow that other other music has like. Uh, every time you think it would have a, a resolution, it would. Yeah. Like, it would be. I, I don't know. Just. It just weirded you out. Is is this the? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, 
Yeah, this is from the yeah. Goblin Prom. Goblin Prom. Okay. As a I was thinking something else, but that too. Early release. I might cry. I was just weirded out by the whole scene. I was just weirded out by the whole scene. I guess that the dance scene. Yeah. In what way? It's just, I I guess I just, well, I... Does it, the sexual awakening of a young girl makes you uneasy? Well, when she's 15, maybe. But yeah, I don't... Well, I just did, I guess I just didn't read into that. I guess I just kind of saw it, well, I don't want to say for what it was, because I probably have the least understanding of the movie, but I just kind of saw it as, okay, well, she ate the magic peach or the magic apple or the whatever, <laughs> and now she's stuck in this dream world and she has to escape. So I, that's kind of what I, I saw it was. I didn't see, I, you know, I don't, I guess I would have been, I guess I would have been just as less surprised if, he would have like pulled a knife out and stabbed her through the heart than if something more well, that, raunchy would have that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess I was ex- I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting like him to whatever we're all thinking and woo snapping her. at and woo her woo right her. yeah. And then uh, she then she literally burst his bubble. I, I, bubbles bursting, releasing early, all that kind of stuff. I would not have imagined that. I would have imagined somehow she would have ended up dead. Like I thought she has to escape before. Like that was where my mind was going. Okay. I, I didn't. I guess I just didn't see the sexual. Well, tension. You, you, okay. you really don't get a sense of the sexual tension until you're in the goblin prom. Because mm-hmm. the whole time it's just sort of like you're going on this journey. I'm just going to make it difficult well, for you. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the goblin plot. Like I thought she he was, she was going to be all like. So it's, Nelson, it, it's, it's not the ending that you expect to happen. All of a yeah. sudden it's like, oh no, he like he's got a there's a thing for Sarah going on right now that yeah. you just have you really don't see any foreshadowing of. Yeah. And until you mentioned it, like, t- like now it's all you're thinking. About. Yeah, no, now I'm just like, oh, maybe I better go check that out again because I just missed all that. Like I, you know, I just saw it as kind of like stranger danger. Okay, he's mulling her into a false sense of security. I mean, it is it is a weird scene, and really that whole aspect of it doesn't really come in until like you're right that part of the movie. It's not. I mean, I guess there are bits and pieces here and there you could look at and say that well maybe he's hinting at having these kind of creepy feelings and mm-hmm. but then until you get to the goblin prom it doesn't they don't come right out and say it. Yeah. All right. Well, okay, so my last question for us and we will do this real quick. Um, you know, we said that it was uh, that David Bowie had just passed away a couple days ago. And so my last question for us is not related to um, Labyrinth um, oh, real quick, one one funny thing that I did find before I go to this is that whole part of the "You remind me of the babe." Mm-hmm. What babe? Babe with the power. What power? Um, is actually for, and I didn't realize this is a direct reference to a Cary Grant Shirley Temple movie. I had no clue. Really? Yeah. Huh. I'll, pull yeah. It, I'll see if I can pull it up here. Oh, that must be Richard Nugent. And who the devil is Richard Nugent? Uh. He's older. He's come to take Susan to the picnic. I think you'll like him. How in blazes do you know? I haven't seen him yet. Hi. Malagrini, Shooky Dookie. Dickie. Ready, Poop? Let's go. Reet. Reet. Hey, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. Good morning. Power of, hmm? Greetings, greetings. Are you out of your mind? Uh, what? What? What are you trying to do? I don't dig you, chick. What are you whispering about? Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, that Uncle Matt. I'm the light operator. <laughs> May I present my great uncle, Judge Turner? How do you do? You, Judge? Oh, this isn't a pump handle. He's sharp. Hey, you remind me of a man. What man? The man with the power. What power? The power of hoodoo. Hoodoo? You do. Do what? Remind me of a man. Remind you all. Yeah, so I had no idea that that was supposed to be an homage to an old Cary Grant movie. So, all right, so here is my last question. It has nothing to do with Labyrinth. Um, David Bowie passed away uh, on Sunday, January 10th, so a few days before now. If you have any personal connections with David Bowie in his music, this may be kind of tough to answer, but what is your favorite David Bowie song? Uh, 
<laughs> Sorry. And I can I, I have every David Bowie song ever written on my computer, so I can I could play a moment of it if you need if you need to take a moment. I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. This is gonna be easy for me. I don't know really that much of his music at all. So okay. I uh, dance magic dance. <laughs> As the world falls down. The one we just listened to, the Goblin Prom. I picked that one. No, I don't pick that one. <laughs> I mean Anytime Heroes is on, I just like heroes. Okay. Um, but then the one that I said, which is very it's very it's not like one of his more popular ones, but I the weird thing is I know every line to the song The Strangers When I Meet One off that for whatever reason I just like that song like I get just I played it I think probably 20 times in the last two days <clears throat> just in the car just was just on my playlist of the month for me it's either changes or uh, life on Mars you like life on Mars really like life on Mars and then collaboratively uh, under pressure with Queen we have if you're yeah, yeah you're I mean it's under pressure is amazing. Yeah, it's hard to come up with just one. Space Oddity. Space Oddity. Space, space, space Oddity. That's the easy one, though. I mean, I hate yeah. to say that one because it's the one, you know. But yeah. between Space Oddity, Life on Mars, and then if you're throwing in Under Pressure. So to the girl with the mousy hair. But her mommy is yelling no. And her daddy has told her to go. But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to fall Yeah, so there's that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're the big Bowie fan. Yeah, man. What's yeah. your Later. favorite Bowie? Well, it might be that one. It might be Life on... And again, I'm, I, that was not really a fair question because I can't narrow it down to one. Um, top five? Okay, well, okay, so top five. Um, top five, I do like... I like Life on Mars. It's going to be up there. Um, probably Space Oddity. Uh, there is a song from the album Aladdin Sane called Time. I like that one. Um, oh, gosh. Um, I'm just going to lump together the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust, the album, as one song. Um, I'm going to cheat and do that. You're just yeah. cheating everywhere. I know. <laughs> Can I do top five albums? Top 500? <laughs> Does he have different, well, I'm sure he has different time periods, but I mean, is there like mm -hmm. drastically different, like, okay, in the this yes. time he yeah. sounded like he, this? He will sound totally different depending on the decade. What was fun was when I did collect all, because I do on my computer, I have every song he's ever done. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I put them on a, two or three MP3 CDs so I could pop them in the car and each mm -hmm. CD had like, I don't know, 100 songs on it. Um, and so I started the one, and they're all chronologically ordered. So when I started with the first one, just back in the 60s, he sounds like the Beatles. I mean, like, the, if the Beatles were one guy, that's what he sounds like so in the still, 60s. Then in the 70s... Davy Jones at that time, or was he... Um, no, he... Well, I mean, it was when he was calling himself David Bowie, but even some of his right. Davy Jones stuff was... It sounded like that. It still had that very 60s British mm -hmm. kind of sound to it. And in the 70s, you got into, like, the Ziggy Stardust stuff. Um, that's when you had Ziggy Stardust. You had the Aladdin Sane album, uh, Diamond Dogs album... And then when you get to the 80s, it's like Let's Dance, China Girl, um, I think Heroes. Was Heroes 80s or was that earlier? 
um, Under Pressure with Freddie Mercury. Was that 81? I think they might have done that in 81. So once you got into the 80s, then you got to the stuff that I think most people would know him for, like the Let's Dance album. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then especially once you get to the 90s, then it's almost more electronic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, techno's, not techno, but like more electronic music. And, and then he just had some very strange phases. There's, there's some stuff, you know, that I'll kind of, some of his late 90s until just his last couple of albums the early 2000s stuff I'm, I'm not as big a fan of I'll still listen to it every now and then but but no so he I mean he really did kind of go through very clear phases of you know here's his music this is Bowie in the 60s this is Bowie in the 70s this is it's not like some of the other artists where like to me Billy Joel is somebody who pretty much sounds the same from early stuff too, you know, with, with a few variations, but sounds the same. David Bowie was one of those that was like every decade he basically reinvented himself or reinvented his sound and yeah. Mm. All right, well, so that's that's all I got. I'm gonna need some tissues here in a minute. And I'm gonna go cry. What do you plan? <laughs> all right, well, I think that's gonna be it for our labyrinth discussion. Um, thank you for joining us on our journey to the center of the labyrinth. Should you need us, you can reach us at 87235-MOVIE. That's 872-356-6843. You can leave us a voicemail and let us know your favorite memories of the movies that we're covering this year. Um, or if there's something you thought we were totally wrong about, you can tell us that too. Uh, you can talk to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 30podcast. You can also like us there. You can like us here. You can eat them in a box. You can eat them with a fox. Uh, you can email us at 30podcast at gmail.com. I don't know where that came from. Uh, 30podcast at gmail.com. I've read a lot of Dr. Seuss with the kids at bedtime lately. It's been uh, a rough week for you. I, it's, it's been rough. Um, work. <clears throat> you can tweet us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's, it's, it's a staple on the podcast. Um, at 30podcast on Twitter. Check out our other episodes directly through the Podbean site by going to the30podcast.podbean.com. From there, you can also click on the Be My Patron link and take some of your $1.5 billion lottery winnings and support the show so we can cover the cost of hosting the show on Podbean. Uh, You can listen to or subscribe to us through Stitcher, the Satchel Player app, and coming soon on Google Play. As always, we are on iTunes, where we would love to have you give us a rating for the show. Here's my challenge to you, the listeners. We would love to see five iTunes reviews for the show by the end of January. It'll take one minute of your time, and if five of you did that right now, my mom will not have to come up with all those fake iTunes accounts. So, once again, thanks for listening. We will see you back here next time for The Three Amigos.